You are listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29 read, We proclaim Him, admonishing every person in teaching, every person, with all wisdom, so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to His power, which works mightily within me. Frank Fayola This scripture comes between Paul's description of the importance of Jesus as Lord and his description of how the church can be built up together in Christ's spirit. How would you say the power of the spirit enables us to teach others so that they may be complete in Christ, as Paul says here? In my experience, um, we cannot effectively serve the Lord in any capacity, not just teaching, but add to that evangelism, add to that shepherding, uh, preaching, etc., without the power of God. The power of God is what causes anything we do for the Lord to bear fruit. And um, I would put it this way, God's work done God's way by God's power will receive God's blessing. (laughs) And if we are not operating by God's power, Paul talks about the power of God in, in two places actually in this text then A, it's not going to bear lasting fruit. B, uh, it's very likely that we're going to burn out. C, it's not going to have any eternal value. So this is why the power of God is so crucial uh, for people who are in ministry or or the the Christian who wants to serve the Lord. Um, It reminds me of another passage in 2 Thessalonians where Paul says that God by his power fulfills your every desire to do good. Uh, We can't really do good in his eyes by his standards, except we do it by God's power. So anyway, yeah, that that would be my answer to the question, which is a good one, by the way. Important for the whole church, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, and um, I'm going to have to play two roles today. Uh, your other co-host, TJ Tiberius Swan Blackwell, the greatest co-host of all time, is unable to make it today. But, 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 to make up for that, we have one of the greatest guests of all time. One of my favorite authors, actually, uh, Frank Viola. Uh, welcome back to the show. He was on last year, and we're back today to talk about your new book, Up. Well, thanks for having me on. You got to put that syrup away, man. I might die of a diabetic coma, but I do appreciate the kind words. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited. I've not finished yet, but I have started reading his new book. Um, I don't think it's released yet. It's The 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, Uncommon Wisdom for Greater Spiritual Impact. When does that book officially publish? It actually just dropped. So okay. it is available. Yeah, it's available in print. It's available on audio and it's available in digital. So, yeah, and and people can actually get a taste test sampler at 48laws.com. The four and the eight are are written out as numbers, not letters. But 48laws.com, yeah, it's available and there are many different uh, venues they can acquire it right on that website. And I warned our listeners last year for for a different book, and I'm going to warn them again. I firmly believe if you buy any of Frank Viola's audiobooks, you'll end up buying the actual book also because you're going to want to take notes. So you're going to want to highlight. You're going to want to read some of the footnotes. 
So, hey, I, I don't discourage you from getting an audiobook. Just know that if you get it, you'll probably end up buying it twice. No, I appreciate yeah. that. That's very kind. <laughs> well, you know, fair warning and all. Guys, I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, but before we go on, I have to let you guys know our convention coming up. It's growing. It's growing. The Every Tribe, Denomination, and Tongues convention, we're still ha- yet to get an official location. But we've confirmed Eric Nevins, the founder of the Christian Podcast Association. Guys, this is a, turning out that it's going to be a pretty pretty big thing, so you're not going to want to miss it. Make sure you hit the link in the show notes and follow up with that so you don't miss out. And of course, while you're doing things for us, feel free to rate the show. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. But Spotify recently made it super easy. Two clicks, you can give us five stars just like that. Pretty convenient if you're listening on Spotify already. And now... Now, now it's time for the show. Now it's time for my favorite form of unity, which of course is silliness. Uh, we have to do we have to do this with every guest, and I'm, I'm going to ask today, uh, Mr. Viola, Frankie V, as you uh, call yourself occasionally. <laughs> well, my friends call me that. Uh, you can just call me Bob if you want. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could get a kangaroo to do any of your daily chores, which would you have it do? I'll answer first, give you a little bit of time to think about it. I wanted to say dishes, but I don't think a kangaroo would be very good at doing the dishes. I, I honestly had a really hard time coming up with something a kangaroo would be good at of my chores, and, and I am going to end up going with uh, spreading the grass seed. I've been trying to grow grass the last couple of years. Mm. He moves pretty wildly, sporadically. He'll cover the whole yard in like a jump or two. It won't take him much effort at all. So I'm, I'm going to go with yeah. that one. Mr. Viola, if you could get a kangaroo to do any of your daily chores, which would it be? I think it would be uh, opening the door and picking up the Amazon packages at the doorstep and bringing them <laughs> back in. Yeah, that would uh, <clears throat> that would be a wonderful, wonderful service for me. So, yeah. and it would just be fun to have a kangaroo bring you your <laughs> your packages. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, There's room for that. So most of my packages are small; they'd fit in his pouch. So. Imagine you ordered uh, Frank Viola's newest book and a kangaroo brought it from your door to you. That'd be great. <laughs> well, speaking of the newest book, jumping into the meat of this episode, what was the inspiration behind this newest book? Like, what, what made you decide the world needs this? Well, there were two things, Josh. Uh, one of them was that uh, since 2015, I've been holding masterminds for leaders, Christian leaders. Most of them are pastors traveling teachers, missionaries, etc. And over the years, many of them have shared uh, their struggles, their challenges. Uh, I did as well. And we all sort of brainstormed and crowdsourced solutions. And so um, many of the questions that they had uh, basically provoked the book, um, the content of the book, because anybody who's in ministry, uh, whether it's a you're not an official minister, but you share the gospel, you're in ministry. Um, you know, there are things to learn and to know about God's power uh, because we need it in the work of the Lord. The other thing that happened coincidentally was a friend of mine gave me some audio books to listen to. This was like 10 years ago. And one of them was a book entitled 48 Laws of Power. It's not a Christian book. But I listened to about four or five chapters of it, and it's all about how to leverage the uh, energy and power of the flesh uh, through manipulation and selfishness to gain worldly power uh, Hmm. over other people or in work or in business. 
and it triggered a thought. And I, and the thought was this, um, here's a book that teaches people how to leverage the flesh, um, in a selfish, manipulative, even abusive way to gain earthly power. What if we had a book that taught people how to leverage God's power, <laughs> um, in ministry and to transform people's lives. And yeah. uh, so that's what triggered the idea. And, and I found out very recently uh, that that other book, that 48 Laws book, uh, the secular one, has sold over a million copies. And most wow. of the people who buy it are prison inmates and celebrities. And so, you know, I'm someone who writes the book I want to read but it doesn't exist. <laughs> so yeah. I, th I then write it. And that's what I did here. 48 Laws of Spiritual Power is a book for any Christian, uh, whether they're in official uh, full-time ministry or not, that will teach them the principles, the spiritual principles, the enduring principles that God's power operates by and in. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that was the inspiration right there. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit because you, you said something that um, I find interesting. You're, you're talking about how this 48 Laws of Power book was more about uh, business, the flesh, more secular ideas, and yours is more spiritual ideas. In contrast, a lot of times business and the Christian church seem to overlap a lot or exchange ideas. You know, church will say, well, this is business practice, so here's how we're going to do ministry or, you know, a business might bring in a Christian leadership expert to come in and talk about how Jesus led and model their business after that. So a lot of times you see this blending of business and church worlds. I find it interesting that you contrasted instead. What is the big difference between spiritual laws and business laws as far as doing ministry? Well, the 48 Laws book is really not a business book. It's about how to be selfish and manipulative and gain power over other people, whether it's in business or it's in relationships. So the focus is not business. The focus is how can I win in this life, right? Oh, okay. And so, yeah, and so it's basically teaching people to be selfish. <laughs> um, it's, Which is actually is bad a, business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a dissertation into the selfish nature of the flesh, and and what's fascinating about this is, uh, A, there's so much interest in the book. I mean, it sold 1.2 million copies plus, you know, hit the New York Times bestseller list. And so people are being drawn to this kind of thing. Like, how how can I leverage through clever manipulation and scheming power in relationships and in career and in jobs? That's basically what the book teaches people how to do. Now, I understand the author intent may not have been that way, but you know, if I write a book about how terrorists make bombs, all right, because I want you to know how they make bombs, well, there's going to be people who take that and actually make the bomb, <laughs> all right? So, yeah. <laughs> so whatever the intent is, you know, basically you're getting a crash course in how to be selfish and manipulative and even abusive and get away with it. Uh, that's what 48 Laws of Power does. But see, what 48 Laws of Spiritual Power does is it teaches a lot of uncommon wisdom on how God's power operates. You know, how is it that a Christian can walk in God's power, especially if they're serving the Lord in some capacity? You do a podcast, for example, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, 
you know, I speak, I teach, I write. Um, I could do all of the same things. You could do all the same things that you do that you're tasked with in the energy of the flesh, even for good motives, but you're using your own natural power to do it. Or you can turn a switch on, <laughs> uh, to use a metaphor, and use a totally different source, and that source is God's power. And, and so that's what this book is. It teaches you how to uh, leverage the power of God, not for selfish ends, but to glorify the Lord on the one hand, and then to transform other people on the other. So real basically then, uh, how, how do I flip that switch on? <laughs> how do I uh, uh, just switch from my power to God's power? Well, there's a chapter in there called serve in the spirit. And that's a phrase out of the New Testament. Um, Paul said, I serve God in the spirit. Well, the opposite of that is to serve in your own natural power or in, your, in the natural flesh. And so that's a big, big topic. But I explore it in that chapter. And then there's links to other resources. But really, it comes down to what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, not I, but Christ lives in me. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There is a way to access that power. And that's really what the whole book is. I mean, every single chapter, I mentioned one of them, which kind of goes into that uh, a little bit deeper, but all the other chapters talk about what depletes God's power from our lives and what enhances it. See, so that's that's really what the book uh, explores. Well, I'm, I'm going to do one more. I'm going to get back, back, to, <laughs> back on track a little bit. Yeah. I, I feel as though a lot of people might maybe counter or push back a little bit on this idea of power in general, because, you know, Jesus was one who gave up a lot of power, gave up the ability to do a lot of things and, you know, humbled himself. I don't think that's what you're talking about, but does that kind of mentality play a role in the spiritual power conversation? Well, what you're talking about is earthly natural power. And, and Jesus Christ did not draw on the earthly natural power. He, in fact, renounced it, you know. They wanted to make him king on this earth, and he rejected that. Um, so, you know, that, that's what the other 48 Laws book does. It, it teaches you how to use that fleshly, natural power to gain earthly prominence and prestige and influence. What spiritual power is, it's God's power. And the scripture opens up, the gospels open up, showing that the Spirit of God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Um, you know, that was the power of God being placed on him. Hmm. And Jesus lived by that power. He operated by that power. Anytime he would uh, teach, anytime he would preach, anytime he would heal, when he would answer questions, he was operating by the anointing of the Spirit. And by the way, uh, I've, I've talked to some <laughs> pastors from different denominations over the years, and, every, and anytime I've used the word anointing, they immediately think, oh, you're, that's charismatic talk. You know, that's what the Charismatics and the Pentecostals talk about, the anointing. Well, the anointing is in both the Old and New Testaments. It's all over the place. And all <laughs> it means is <laughs> it just means the endowment of power from the Holy Spirit. And as a Christian, you have access to that power. You have access to that anointing. In fact, uh, in First in John, it says that anointing lives in us. We've received that anointing. But the question is, how do we tap into it? See, and that's what the book explores. It also talks about the things that diminish that power. You know, um, there are certain things that you and I can do as a believer that quench the spirit, right? 
uh, that's a term out of the New Testament, or, <laughs> or that, you know, cause the Spirit to withdraw. And, and what we have today, uh, Josh, I think, and more so than we should see, but we have a lot of power being um, exhibited in the Christian world, but it's not God's power. It's natural earthly power. Um, and, you know, a person can be charismatic in their own uh, natural state. You know, maybe they were born with that charisma. That's not the power of God. Um, yet, many people will think that that's God's power, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I do get into some of the differences you know, between natural power and earthly power in the book. And uh, and again, it's very practical. As you get into yeah. it, you'll see that there's there's a lot of practical aspects to it. That's one of the comments I've received from many, many leaders is they love how practical it is. You know, it's not just a bunch of theory. Um, I give action steps on how to flesh it out. Oh, yeah. And one thing, one thing I like is you bring out in the book what we mean by power. And, you know, so you were getting there when we were just talking too, but I like that, you know, we're not talking about supernatural superpowers, you know, we're not, uh, you know, God's going to gift you to fly or something. It's, you know, the strength to do what you were called to do sort of thing, the strength to be humble, even um, as Christ was humble and uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. But to get to get a little bit more back on track, um, we, were, we were talking about your inspiration for the book. Uh, what was the writing process like? Well, you know, when I write a book, it's like putting together an album, a music album. And I see each chapter as a track on that album. And uh, so I have a certain rhythm the way I write, and there's a certain sound to it. Uh, and so, you know, there are people who just absolutely love it, you know. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, there are people who are like, well, that's different. You know, I like I like hip hop and this is classic rock you're giving me here. Uh, or I like country music and you're giving me Taylor Swift or whatever it is. But, you know, I try to make it as accessible as possible. Each chapter, uh, as you already know, is very short. Um, one of the reasons for that is I hate reading long chapters myself. I can't stand it uh, because I feel like I'm never going to finish. Come on, when's this chapter going to get over with? I want to go to the next one. And a lot of times, I know this is an author because you know it takes one to know one. You could sort of see what authors do, um, but a lot of books, what they are, is mostly padding. If you if you took the average book, Josh, and you <laughs> took out all the padding, you probably would have maybe 30 pages of real content. So what, what I really tried to do, I had a lot to say in this book, but I tried to um, extract any padding whatsoever. So everything that, that the reader's getting is you know solid content. They can sink their teeth in, they can put into action. And so the process was slow. It was like, it's like recording you know tracks for an album. And uh, you know I'd put the first track you know, as number one, the first law, and then maybe a little, little time went by and I thought, well, you know what, that'd be better the fifth track. So let me move the tracks around. But at the end of it, it, it it's a song. It's a, and to me, it's a beautiful song. And so far, the feedback I've gotten many, many readers from all different denominations, by the way, uh, most of my readership are 30s and early 40s and a lot of uh, 20s. And and so it's really resonating. I, I think part of it, too, is there's humor in the book. Uh, and I also, you know, admit to mistakes I've made. So I tell some anecdotes on that. And I think that really connects with people, uh, especially the humor part, because there, there's some pretty funny part, funny aspects of it. I was laughing as I was writing it. So, yeah. Well, and it's uh, a lot of it is um, 
I'm trying to do this comparison well. Uh, some, some of it kind of reminds me of like C.S. Lewis. Uh, you know, he was always funny, but he was very good at making things accessible in such a way where you're like, well, you know, if I would have thought about it, I could have came up with that. <laughs> like reading mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis almost is like, oh, that was right in front of my face this whole time. But he's he's largely talking about more theoretical things. I feel as though you do the same thing, but more on a practical level of looking at things going, oh, you know, if I would have thought about this in the right way, I, I could have came up with that. So mm. I, I really appreciate that that aspect of it where it's very easy to grasp some of what you're talking about. Um, You've mentioned earlier, there are some things that detract from the power or, you know, quench our thirst, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What are some of the marks or characteristics that we could tell that pride, arrogance, burnout maybe is affecting someone who's in ministry or in, le- or in leadership? Well, you know, pride and arrogance is a big one, especially if someone has a successful ministry. Maybe they're a pastor of a very large church or, you know, they're a celebrity pastor. They uh, or celebrity leader, you know, have millions, millions of followers on social media, et cetera. Um, pride and arrogance are just at the door. Uh, the more successful a person is in ministry by outward means now, <laughs> um, the more they're open to receiving that. Because what they tend to do is they confuse the great artist with the paintbrush that the artist is using, you see. We are flawed paintbrushes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We are we are imperfect paintbrushes. But when God begins to use us, there is a subtle temptation to say, "Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I'm something. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe I really am good." And, <laughs> and and not recognizing that if we're operating by God's power, it's the great artist who deserves the glory because you know he's he's using the paintbrush despite its imperfections and its flaws and uh, but some you know your question was what are the marks um here are some of the marks of leaders who have allowed pride and arrogance uh to to take root in them one of them is they refuse to co-work with other people they want to have all the glory they will not uh be accessible to their peers they refuse to co-work with their peers. They they want to be Michael Jackson's, okay, and not members <laughs> of uh, Led Zeppelin or or the Beatles. Um, they're also inaccessible to their peers, and that's what celebrities are known for. Josh, I mean, try getting a hold of uh, Johnny Depp or uh, <laughs> Angelo Angeli. What's her name? Jolie, Angela Jolie. Try try doing that. Good luck. <laughs> and it's the same way when a Christian leader puts themselves out of reach from us mere mortals, okay? Um, Now, one of the things I've guarded very hard against is, and I have a whole chapter called Detest Celebritism. That's law number five. Um, But I've I've built into my own life safeguards that uh, prevent me from, you know, being a celebrity. And um, there's a there's a price to pay for that, too, because when you become accessible, Josh, people kind of they don't see you the same way. You sort of are lowered in their eyes because they think, well, if you're really something, you'd be inaccessible, just like, <laughs> you know, so-and-so yeah. is. Um, but that's another mark. And and another mark of, of someone who's allowed pride and arrogance to seep into their heart is they reject golden opportunities and invitations from people who are ahead of them in the Lord. You know, it, it's almost it's almost like they feel like they can't learn anything. Uh, from another person, you know, unless unless they may be somebody who 
uh, has a church of 24,000 people uh, and, you know, they're on national television, then they, then, they, then they think, oh, well, yeah, this person's ahead of me. But the metric they're using is fleshly and carnal. It's not spiritual. Yeah. You see a lot of that in the, uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast was popular a couple of years ago. I'm just, it's interesting how some of that happens. I, I do have a question, though, for those who we, – we actually – we have a friend of the show who is the um, minister of 1100 Family Church. To me, I still feel like he's pretty accessible, but at what point does being accessible to that many people lead to burnout? I mean, doesn't it kind of prevent burnout to cut yourself off a little bit? I mean, where do you find the balance in your life? Well, there's a difference between being accessible to every human being. That's impossible. It's impossible for most of us. Um, but at least you could, in, in terms of that particular audience, you could at least have an assistant that will, you know, answer questions that people may have for you. Um, I do. I have that. And I have a, a frequently asked question page. And then uh, if somebody really asks me something that's not on my FAQ page, I will directly <laughs> respond to them. Um, and I get thousands of emails. So, you know, it, it's possible. Um, but the other thing, and this is really what I'm homing in on, being inaccessible to your peers. That's mm. a problem, okay? Yeah. And I don't want to mention various names, but like if you can think of the top five, don't, don't mention their names, please don't do that. But just think mm -hmm. of the top five leaders or authors that you really like. Um, they all should be accessible to one another. They should not, they should not feel that they're so high and mighty that they can't you know, respond to an email by one of one of their peers. And so when somebody gets so full of pride and arrogance, that's what they do. They move into celebrity status and, you know, you can't reach them. Be, they become like Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise. They become like a celebrity. And some of them have bodyguards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I talk about this in the chapter on detest celebritism. So it's it's, yeah. it's, I think it's a good caution. I know a lot of guys who, because they've been in my masterminds, they're kind of rising up the ranks of the megachurch world. And uh, I've warned, I've warned them and I, I, I explained to them the dangers that are inherent, that are systemically inherent in that system. Uh, not that you can't avoid being unscathed, but it's very difficult. Uh, most human beings, I would say the average human being is not designed to, to wield that kind of power. And, um, you know, you mentioned one particular instance. Well, there are dozens and dozens of them that have happened oh, yeah. this year. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, there's there's something to be uh, explored. And uh, and so that's one that's just one chapter of, of many in the book that deals with some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So be accessible to your by your peers always and maybe just be tactful and intentional with how you're accessible to others, maybe. There must be some way to reach you, you yeah. know, like, um, you know, uh, even if it's through an assistant, there has to be a way to reach you. If you close yourself off from everybody, that's a problem. And I give some prescriptions in the celebrity uh, chapter, the dangers of, of celebritism. I give some from my own life, too, you know, how you can you can be well known. You can have lots of people trying to contact you. But there are ways where you don't have to be, you know, on a, uh, you don't have to elevate yourself to celebrity status. Well, and it's it's not just celebrity status preachers and stuff that, that are impacted by burnout. But, you know, we mentioned it. They uh, it does seem to be a theme with that group as well. 
in the 48 spiritual laws of power, you kind of cover how a minister can both care for others and also guard their own well-being. I know that's sort of what we're getting at with the celebrity stuff as well. Why do you think so many ministers have trouble with that uh, caring for themselves part? Well, there's several reasons for it. One is the uh, the disease of people-pleasing, which is another law in the book. Don't be a people-pleaser. Um, most of the ministers I know and people who serve the Lord in any capacity are people-pleasers. And there are roots behind people-pleasing that are rarely excavated. So, you know, in the book, I talk about what those roots are and how you could uh, not become a people-pleaser. But that's one of them. Um, you don't want to say no to anybody, right? And if you say yes to everyone, guess what? You're going to be the casualty of that. Um, the other thing is laboring in the energy of the flesh instead of by the indwelling power of the spirit. And when I say the energy of the flesh, I'm not just talking about, you know, the evil side of the flesh. You know, the flesh is what you are uh, by nature without the Holy Spirit. That's what the flesh is, right? So if I'm naturally talented, you know, maybe I could speak really well, but I was that way by birth, right? They're great orators who are atheists. They don't, they're not speaking by the Spirit <laughs> of God. Yeah. But if you rely on the energy of what you are by birth um, in ministry, you're going to burn out. You're going to fade out. Uh, you're going to rust out or you're going to burn out or all three. And, uh, and then the other one is lurking behind spiritual burnout is very often religious ambition. All right. Now, religious ambition is different from godly ambition. Religious ambition is you want to be applauded by people for your spiritual stature or your spiritual gifts. You're seeking the praises of mortals. All right. You, you want to get more likes, more clicks, more, you know, more <laughs> shares uh, to use social media language. And and really, it's religious ambition, um, which I think the Lord does not care for at all, you know, because this is a fleshly yeah. thing. Uh, re- spiritual ambition or godly ambition is I want to please him. I have an ambition to know him better than I do. I have an ambition to reach more people for him, for his glory. That's very different. And I do plunge into some of the motivations that um, that are behind the, uh, much of what we do as believers and as as leaders. And, you know, this has all come out of my own experiences. So everything I talk about, you know, I've learned myself, some through serendipitous success and others through mistakes, you know. So this is uh, this is one man's testimonial as well as what I'm sharing with other people. Well, so along with that, then, what would you say is one of the laws that you had were particularly challenging for yourself to follow? Uh, Probably overcome discouragement. And, you know, one of the things I say in the book, and this is across the board, but if you're in ministry in any capacity, you are going to face discouragement. And and here's the thing about discouragement. It's never going to go away. You may have periods of time where you overcome it, but it's going to come right back. And you have to learn to dance with it. You can't get rid of it, but you can dance with it. And in those moments where you're dancing with it, you can, you know, do the dip. You can dip <laughs> your partner and overcome, but it will come right back. And the moment it comes back, you may not be sure if you're going to get through at that time. You know, uh, discouragement almost knocked out Paul of Tarsus. When he went to Ephesus, he said, I despaired of even life itself. I mean, he, he moved from discouragement to despair, but he snapped back. 
And so I give a prescription in the book on how to overcome discouragement. But yeah, that's one of the that's one of the difficulties, you know, for anybody in ministry. But yeah, I do have bouts of discouragement. Thankfully, so far, I say so far, um, I've been able to to overcome it in a few days. You know, when it hits me, it, it may take a couple of days, but there'll be that bubbling over of the Lord and the spirit. And then I keep walking forward. So, and I give that same prescription to, to readers. It's, it's crazy to think one of my favorite authors also deals with discouragement. I'm like, Oh, that's not just a, that's just a us thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, would you mind giving us one more just example of one of the laws of spiritual power that's in this book? Sure. Um, I, I guess I'll just throw out several and then I'll just enlarge on one. But one of them is called Beware the Empty House. Um, there's a principle. It's very rarely talked about. It's been enlightening to the people who've read the book. But you are the most vulnerable to temptation when God has used you the most. At that moment, you're the most vulnerable. Beware the Empty House. I get into it in that book. Another one is It Takes One to Make One. And that the point there is that you cannot really give anything to anyone else that that's going to last in their life unless you've experienced it first. So, you know, ministry today, often it's frontal lobe to frontal lobe, right? Um, somebody hears a message and they repeat it verbatim, um, but they haven't experienced it. Well, that's not really going to bear lasting fruit. Um, and then another one would be refuse to take offense. You know, the servant of God does not have the luxury of being offended. And we live in a, a culture of outrage, but outrage and offense are not fruits of the spirit. <laughs> okay. So I get into that in the book <laughs> as well. All right, man, those are some good ones. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to this, but I, I did want to ask you. So, so based on some of the comments of early readers, what have they been saying about the book? And could you remind everybody where they can find this book of a uh, 48 laws of spiritual power, uncommon wisdom for greater spiritual impact. Yes, they can go to 48 laws, just the, the numbers 48 laws, one word, 48laws.com. And they can see all the ways they can purchase the book. I also have a taste test sampler where they could test drive it uh, for free. And, and then I have a series of interviews uh, where they can listen to me talk about different aspects of, of what's in the book. Um, yeah, so that would be where I would send them. Comments have been really, really encouraging. I mean, I've had people say it's among the, the top five best books they've ever read. And some of these people are pastors of significantly large churches, for whatever it's worth, but they're influential people. Uh, I recently, just today, uh, a very well-known author uh, wrote on his Facebook feed, I've read the first two chapters of this book, and God spoke to me through both of them very deeply. That was flattering and humbling and really encouraging. <laughs> and I just responded. I said, thanks for sharing that. I hope that's the case with every chapter. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but uh, yeah. And then other people who have written to me, they've been to seminary. And one of the remarks is, half this stuff I never learned in seminary. And I feel, you know, I, in a way I feel cheated, but in another way I'm so grateful, you know. And then other people have said, I wish I had this book 10 years ago. It would have saved me a lot of headache and hassle and frustration and agony. So, yeah, it's it's been virtually so far all positive. Um, 
you know, I mean, there's, there's always going to be detractors. There's always going to be, um, you know, the, the malcontents and stuff. I mean, that's, that's true for every author. You mentioned C.S. Lewis. Well, he gets a lot of, <laughs> he's not alive, but he gets a lot of hate reviews. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, you can't get beyond it. Uh, and unfortunately, it comes from the Christian world, uh, which is the irony of it. I know you're all about <laughs> unity in the church. Well, guess what? I was wounded in the house of my friends, the scripture says about Jesus. And, you know, yeah. if the servant is not greater than his master. So, you know, and it's one thing, like for me personally, Josh, if I read a book I don't like, I'm not going to write a review on it. You know what I mean? I'm just nope. not going to do that. <laughs> um, but if 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 I'm blessed by a book, if I'm touched by it, um, if I find it valuable, I'll write a very positive review. I'll rank it high because there's no perfect book. I'm yet to meet an author who believes one of his books is perfect. One of her books is perfect. But if a book is valuable and it has content that can really help people, boy, it's worth writing it. And that's 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 how I roll. Basically, if somebody doesn't like a book of mine, well, it's not for them. I didn't write it for them. You know, I wrote it for the person who said, you know, my life was changed by this. And thankfully, I do receive some letters like that uh, from praise God's God. people. And that makes it all worth it to me. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Well, as you mentioned, we are the Church Unity Podcast. We like to, uh, we, we used to have the slogan of your favorite Church Unity Podcast. We're not sure if that's true anymore. Hopefully, we're someone's favorite Church Unity Podcast. But <laughs> we um, we do like to ask everybody if they could provide a single tangible action to help maintain unity in the church, what would it be? I'm going to change it a little bit on you, though. I was wondering if you had to pick one of the spiritual laws from your book that you think would make the biggest impact on church unity, which spiritual law would you have picked? Probably remain poor in spirit. Um, Jesus talked about being poor in spirit. You know, You can't see the kingdom of God without being poor in spirit. And that all has to do with posture of being teachable, open to learn, um, a void of, of pride and arrogance. Those things are voided in your heart. You're like a child. And, you know, child, children are inquisitive. Children are open. They're teachable uh, for the most part. And, and that's what Jesus was trying to get across. And so to make this practical, Josh, I would say this to everyone listening. When you come across someone in the family of God, someone who, who's a Christian or they profess to be a Christian and you disagree with them or you think you disagree with them, here's my prescription. <laughs> Ask them questions instead of making assumptions and making statements. Ask questions. So, for example, Josh, if you tell me, uh, well, Frank, you know, I've been reading some literature and I'm starting to think that Jesus was not divine. Instead of me saying to you, oh, really? Well, you're a heretic and uh, I don't want to talk <laughs> to you anymore. Don't invite me on your show again. Um, th what I would do is I would ask questions, really. Okay, well, why do you believe that? And then you answer. And then I would say, well, if, if he's not divine, how do, you, how do you answer or respond to this verse? And I give you a text in, in Scripture. How do you respond to that? Um, and so I'm inquisitive. I'm asking questions. I'm, I want to hear why you believe what you believe. And I'm getting, giving you the benefit of the doubt. Now, you know, the deity of Jesus Christ is huge. That's not like a peripheral issue. But it's very possible that you've come to that conclusion in a misguided way. 
and and so many other things are like that and 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 not only that but so much of what christians argue about are really peripheral you know they're not hinged issues that are tied into the orthodoxy of the faith and i wrote a book called regrace and it's all about the shocking beliefs of the great christians and and the reason why i wrote it is because i was trying to point out that the greats of the past, whether it's Luther, Calvin, Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis, all of them had flawed, uh, mistaken views on some things. But that doesn't take away from their greatness. It doesn't take away from their great contribution. It doesn't take away from the fact that God used them. And so if we're going to recognize that even the greats missed some things, then let's have a little bit more patience with each other (laughs) <laughs> when we disagree, either theologically, doctrinally, or politically. So basically, ask questions. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't make assumptions. Ask questions. And the, the power of the question can do an awful lot in bringing two people to one mind and, and yeah. sifting out the truth. Yeah. yeah the, uh, the Socratic method, if you would. Um, I, I've actually, I've been reading a book, uh, and I don't agree with everything this author says and whatever, but... Um, Malene Rust, Common Spaces Between Us, and she tells, one of the stories that she tells in the book is how she helped a guy who was being abusive in a relationship, and it was weird to me because, you know, my first reaction is, he's terrible, let's get him, let's, you know, tell him all these reasons he's wrong, and he's like, well, the Bible says it's okay, and I'm like, no, it's not, you're reading the Bible wrong, and she's like, yeah, yeah, instead of doing all that, I started asking questions and figured out how to help him and get everybody out of this relationship, and helped him and i was like um yeah i don't think i would have been capable of that you know the church unity guy and i'm like oh man i still got i still got stuff to learn on this front (laughs) so um Mm. what ramifications do you think there would be if we all did that if we started asking more questions instead of just tackling on what do you mean you don't believe the divinity of jesus or what do you mean you think the bible says it's okay to hit people or you know whatever Mm -hmm. if we Mm -hmm. all started asking more questions what differences would we see in the church well, I think you would see less people blocking one another on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think you would see less carnage uh, where Christians go at one another, you know, like they go after each other's throats because of disagreements. And I think the world would maybe see, you know, that these people who profess Jesus may really have something because even though they disagree, they still love each other. That, my friend, is missing right now. Amen. Yeah, that's uh, sort of why we do this. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, that being said, uh, one thing we do like to do is, um, or one of the many things we do, we like to have a God moment segment. Um, I don't usually do this part, so I'm stumbling a little bit. Usually TJ's here to do this, but uh, we just take a minute, share something God's been up to with us personally recently. Um, he always likes to make me go first. I will go first to give you some time to think about it. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say I just this huge blessing and the spirit of thankfulness because we started putting together this idea of a whole church convention, the uh, every tribe, denomination and tongue thing. And the amount of response that we've got of people who want to participate or people who are willing to show up, Trimper Longman's willing to come down to Charlotte for this one. And I'm just I don't know. I, I feel very blessed and humbled that this has come together so quick. Something that I was just like, well, what if we did this? And now just all the support for it's really touching. So, um yeah, how about you? Anything God's been up to with you recently? You know, I have um, decided to do a, another year of a mentoring mastermind for spiritual leaders. 
And the thing that really has been so pronounced in my own life of late is the power of mastermind groups. And mastermind groups are based in the scripture, but uh, this is one of those things that business people uh, have taken uh, to their benefit. But the Christian world, by and large, doesn't even know what a mastermind is. And so it's kind of like, you know, the Christians tend to be beyond, excuse me, behind the ball and a lot of things, whether it's, you know, um, high quality acting and, and screenplays and movies, they tend to be yeah. behind the ball. Yeah. Um, music, they tend to be behind the ball. Oh, yeah. Um, and so when it comes to a mastermind, uh, they're behind the ball. Let me tell you, most pastors have no clue whether they think it's a cohort or uh, it's a pastor network meeting. It's nothing like that. And so anyway, um, we did one last year. I've been doing them since 2015, but we really raised the stakes last year. And it was a one-year program. Uh, most of it was done over Zoom. And then we had an in-person gathering. And it was electrifying, let me tell you, life-changing. And uh, so I'm doing it again. And uh, I've been getting the message out about what masterminds are. If anybody's interested, they can go to ministrymind.org. Not mastermind, but ministrymind.org. <laughs> uh, it's the ministry version of a mastermind group. But ministrymind.org will teach them all, uh, teach everyone what it is, what it's not. And, uh, and, the, and if they're leaders you know, in the Christian space, they can apply. Um, but yeah, I, I've really been focused on that uh, recently, and you know, I think the Lord has taught me some things about the power of the masterminds, especially for Christian leaders, because so many Christian leaders, Josh, are lonely. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them are depressed, and they will not share that with anyone. And uh, and then there's also a good bit of them that you know they've come to the point where they feel like they know everything, so to speak, and they feel like they can't learn anything and they've done it all before. And that's not the case at all. So anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, program we have and just been excited. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. So, something that we definitely need in our church culture today. So <laughs> thank you for doing it. And uh, we'll be praying over that. Um, speaking of prayer requests, I don't know if we've ever had a prayer request on the show before. But uh, I was contacted, and someone who was part of our the, uh, the whole church group on Facebook, you can look up the whole church group. That'll be in our show notes as well if you want to join that. Um, sorry, uh, Daniel something. Well, I won't give his last name just for safety's sake. Daniel requested that we pray for some of the church plants that they are doing in Tanzania coming up just this year, starting at 14th of November, the 24th, the 20th of December. They got a lot of 23rd of December plants coming up there and uh, they just asked for prayer with that and uh, I'm always willing to share prayer requests so you know we haven't made that a part of the show before but you know y'all y'all pray for Daniel and those uh, those church plants in Tanzania and if you enjoyed this episode please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy maybe a cousin <laughs> we do prefer cousins so you know keep that in mind uh, listen to our other podcast Systematic Geekology at systematicgeekology.org you can hit the host tab both me and TJ's name are there if you want to see everything that we've done as part of that show we just kind of talk about where the church and the geek culture kind of collide where do we see Christian themes in some pop culture stuff and where do we not see it uh, and of course you can follow our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast and you can listen to our pet peeves segment where we ask people about their pets and their peeves in the church and don't forget, do that review thing we mentioned earlier, whatever you're on, especially Spotify. It's two clicks. I know you guys can do that. 
You can do it before I finish talking about it, even. It's you so can easy. do it. <laughs> it's so easy. And thank you guys for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to be interviewing Jackie Wilson. Uh, she's the host of Christian Writing and Speaking Podcast. Then we're going to interview the Bible teacher and retired pastor, Carrie Green. And of course, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. He doesn't know that yet, but he'll probably figure it out eventually. Probably.